That's one of those hymns I grew up with very much so, my mother's favourite, uh, one that we sang many a time. Tonight we're back on the big words and we're going to look at the word intercession. And uh, so uh, it's, we'll see very straightforwardly how we can understand the word more from a, a theological point of view, more about the way the Bible portrays intercession and that's how it's important to us. But if we think of the straight dictionary definition of it, we can, the Cambridge de- Dictionary describes it as the act of using your influence to make someone an authority, forgive someone else, or save them from punishment. And that gives us sort of a, a feeling of, oh, uh, somebody's in trouble here, we've got to do something about it. But practically every other dictionary broadens that definition a little bit and makes it uh, slightly different and also includes the idea that intercession is a prayer or a prayer to God. Here's the Oxford Dictionary. The act of speaking to somebody in order to persuade them to be kind to somebody else or to help settle an argument. So it doesn't seem quite so damning as a, as a previous one, uh, saving them from punishment. To be kind to somebody or to help settle an argument. The act of saying a prayer for somebody or something, a prayer that is said for somebody or something. So intercession, it's a fairly broad term, more than just simply trying to limit or prevent punishment. We can intercede about a lot of things. And the word itself, intercede, um, well, what, where does that come from? Or what is it? It's a Latin root. It comes from the Latin that means to go between or to be between and the other word to mean as a go. So you can get that the person who is doing intercession, the person who is interceding is acting as a go between, acting on the behalf of others. I'm trying to think of a good illustration and there's no perfect illustration for this, but um, perhaps the one that we're most familiar with would be the like of a lawyer, a barrister in a court of law who's speaking on behalf of his or her client. And uh, that barrister is interceding and pleading the case for that individual and perhaps uh, trying to represent the best interests of the individual. That's a good way of thinking of it. Looking to represent the best interests of the individual. But when we turn to the Bible, we find that there's a broader meaning again to that. And it really, what does it mean for us in a sense? And how can we learn what intercession involves for the Christian and for those in the Christian life? And when we turn to the Bible, it's not too long into the Old Testament before we find some examples of intercession. And as I go through a few of them, they'll maybe help us pick up and understand exactly what's happening here. But you can think about it. And right at the beginning in the Bible, fairly early on in the book of Genesis, for example, we have Abram in Genesis 18. And what he's doing is he's coming along and he's pleading for the city of Sodom. And what he's saying, he's pleading with God, he's pleading and saying, look, don't destroy this city. If you find so many righteous men there, don't destroy it. And of course, the number of men goes down and down and down, doesn't it? You remember that story where Abraham's interceding, he's pleading 
on behalf of the city of Sodom, even though it was a wicked city. Here's Abraham pleading it. Or perhaps another more familiar example would be Moses. Remember when they made the, Moses is up on the mountain and the people make the golden calf and God's angry with them. And in a sense, he, he threatens to destroy them. And, and Moses pleads for the people of Israel. He pleads in their behalf, even though they had done a great sin and committed a grave offense against God. Moses gets in there and he pleads with God. He intercedes on behalf of the nation of Israel. A third example, maybe not so familiar, would be Hezekiah. Hezekiah has uh, ordained that the Passover feast takes place again after many years with it not happening. And so all the people gather to uh, join in that wonderful celebration of Passover in Jerusalem. And then they realize, Hezekiah realizes, that there's a lot of people there that are ritually unclean. They're not prepared properly to take part in the Passover. And so Hezekiah prays and intercedes for those people that uh, they be allowed to participate in the Passover uh, and that God would overlook their failing in this. So here's some, that's some examples that we've seen in the Old Testament. There's also one that I want to mention as well, just briefly, but we'll be coming back to it. And that's in our reading from Isaiah 53, isn't it? Isaiah 53, familiar to us all, it's the, that picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as a suffering servant. And in verse 12, we read this. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So here the suffering servant is mentioned as in being involved in intercession in the Old Testament as well. And then just before we, we move on to the, the, the New Testament, um, I want to also just mention the role of the high priest. Remember the role of the high priest had important work to do? And very specifically in the Day of Atonement, particularly on that day, that high priest was to make intercession for the people, for the nation of Israel on that special day. Of course, he had to make a sacrifice for his own sin first, but then he interceded on behalf of the people. And so we're getting a picture here that what's happening is that throughout the Old Testament and all of the examples I've quoted to you, there's been a difficulty in the lives of people or places and the people that live in the places. And that they have done something that in the way we would think about it is been offensive to God or wronged God or sinned against God. And someone on their behalf has intervened and has spoken their case and pleaded their case to God to prevent whatever God maybe had planned to do. But that person is acting as a go-between, representing the nation, representing the people, representing the individual who had sinned. And one fairly consistent thing that comes out of all of those examples is though it involved, it by and large, it nearly always involved prayer of some sort. But as you can see, 
It's someone acting on the behalf of others and generally speaking, without their knowledge. So if we move into the the New Testament, we're going to find uh, many examples of intercession again. Although it's only a few times in the New Testament the word itself is actually used. But we're going to read, for example, of our our responsibility as Christians to intercede for others. We're going to read how the... We're going to learn how the Holy Spirit's involved in this, and we're going to read of the, in the New Testament of the high priestly role of our Lord Jesus in intercession. One thing that we're not going to find in the New Testament is, or in any part of Scripture, is intercession by Mary or the saints on behalf of people. For example, in the Catholic Church, there is a saying, as the, the Hail Mary. Part of that is a phrase at the end which says, pray for us sinners now and in our, our, our time of death. That phrase was only added 500 years ago. And it was added to phrases that were taken out of Scripture earlier on. But nowhere in Scripture is there anything that would teach us or show us that we should be praying to Mary to pray for us, to intercede for us. And the same goes for the saints, because again, that is erroneous. It's not in Scripture. Or angels. There's nothing in Scripture to pray for angels. None of it has any biblical warrant. And I think most of the time this evening I want to spend is really to think about the role of the Lord Jesus Christ and his intercessory role and see intercession through what he is involved in. But we need to see what's taught regarding intercession as regarding the Christians, first of all. And here's the first verse I want us to think about. It's Ephesians 6, 18, and I have put up here the Christian Standard Version of it. Most Bibles don't have the word intercession in here, but they have the word supplication in their version. But it says, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So here is a responsibility that we have. Paul here is writing to the church in Ephesus. And as he writes to Ephesus, what he said there still applies today. And to every Christian and every Christian church down through the centuries. He was encouraging them to pray for all the saints. Yes, so we have a responsibility to pray for each other. Intercessory prayer is often quite specific. And to pray for each other, it involves needing to know each other and needing to know the difficulties that each of us have in our lives, the needs of our brothers and sisters and how to pray for those needs. Uh, If you think, for example, of one of the aims of our home groups was to build up a familiarity with each other so that we could share with each other the problems, the difficulties we had in our lives, and so we could pray for each other in those home groups. And we we can't do that just as well in our life groups because we haven't got to know each other quite the same way as we did in our home groups. But the thought and the, the, the idea is still there, isn't it? And when we come to church, don't we, every Sunday morning, we we would have a prayer of intercession 
a prayer of intercession, of praying for the other Christians, praying for the, the church family, supporting each other and upholding each other in, in Christ. So here's the first lesson that we can learn about intercession as it applies to us, is that we need to be involved in this ministry. We need to be praying for each other. And of course, as I say, that means getting alongside and, and learning and supporting each other. But it's not just for Christians that we're to make intercession for. Pastor quoted this verse this morning, 1 Timothy 2.1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Pastor was quoting about Darius this morning and saying how he asked, he was wanting prayers to be made for him and for his sons, a prayer of intercession. And here Christians are being encouraged that we make intercessory prayer for all peoples, including those in authority, but we need to make them nonetheless. And of course, as part of our intercessory prayers, part of our prayers, then we need to be involved in praying for our government, in praying for our nation, in praying for the broader things in the world, and in praying for salvation for men and women, in praying that uh, our, our families would come to know household salvation, in praying that God's word would be spread around in the area of Dundonald in praying that men and women would find the Lord Jesus Christ, in praying for peace, perhaps, in praying for the suffering of others around the world. But as Christians, we have to take up this ministry ourselves. We have to be involved in praying for each other and we have to be involved in praying for all people. It is a slightly different type of intercession, perhaps, but at one that must need to be made. And it's not necessarily something that comes easy to us. In Colossians, there's a, an example of an early Christian making intercession. And it reads like this in Colossians 4. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. And he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras struggled in his prayers for the church in Colossae. He worked hard at it. It's hard to do. As Christians, sometimes we find prayer hard and intercessory prayer equally as difficult as any other. But we need to be involved in it. We need to be like Epaphras and we need to struggle on to pray like that. And as those words don't come easy to us, doesn't it, isn't it wonderful that we aren't left alone in this? And in the New Testament, the next thing we find, as well as the challenge to ourselves to be involved in intercession, is the fact that we're not left alone when we struggle because the Holy Spirit is involved as well. Romans 8, verse 26 uh, and 27, we read these words, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here we see then that really we're not going to be left on our own with this. When it comes to not being able to perhaps find the right words, when we're really struggling, God's Holy Spirit is going to be involved and help us. Remember when Jesus was speaking to disciples and he was explaining to them when he was about to depart, he was about to be taken and crucified and he was going to leave, this, leave them. And he says, but I, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the, my spirit. And one of the roles of God's spirit here is described for us. And very simply, and I'll just leave these th three thoughts with you, that he, he helps us from those verses and what we should pray for. He helps us. We don't know the words sometimes. Sometimes we're really, how do I say this? How do I phrase it? But the Holy Spirit helps us. And he helps us at a deep emotional level. Uh, he intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. So in some way, the, the Holy Spirit helps us in a really emotional, deep emotional level in our praying, helps us to be able to pray more effectively. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. And there's a lovely assurance there that as we pray, God's Holy Spirit is directing our thoughts and our prayers to keep us in line with God's will. And that God the Father has that, he knows what the Spirit knows. And the Spirit knows what we know and they know what we know. And this, it's wonderful to think that the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. And interceding and helping us in our intercessory prayer in God's will. So we've seen some examples of personal scripture making intercessions for others. We've seen our role in the ministry and how God's spirit helps us as well. But we come to look at Jesus and intercession. There's a little bit more to encourage us yet. There's an interesting reference in the Old Testament to the act of intercession. It's found in 1 Samuel 2. And there we read of Eli speaking to Hophni and Phinehas. And he's really... He's really getting at them. He's giving them a good ticking off. Unfortunately, it's not strong enough. It doesn't seem to really have any major effect at all. But in the course of what he's sharing with them, in the course of his uh, criticism of their awful behavior, he says and he makes this comment. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Eli struggled with that. If someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Well, the answer to Eli's question is, of course, the Lord Jesus. Just as the Lord Jesus is the answer to so much of the Old Testament, the answer to that, who can intercede if someone sins against the Lord? The answer is found only in the Lord Jesus there's two aspects to Jesus and his intercessory ministry. And I want to, I'll break them into that. I want to think something and some examples of his intercession during his earthly life. Timothy will be speaking next week again, I believe, in, in John 17. 
and he's already been interspeaking. And that prayer is often called the great intercessory prayer, where Jesus prays for his disciples and all those who will, the Father will give him. And it's a wonderful prayer. Jesus is in there praying earnestly for his disciples. As well as that, um, we, we find then that we have Jesus' words to Peter in Luke 22, just before his crucifixion. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You know, we read those words and we don't often think, what's Jesus doing? What has he done here? He has interceded for Peter against Satan's accusations. Now, there is an example. He's interceded for Peter against Satan's accusations and Satan's desire to turn Peter away from following Christ. And what does Jesus say? I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What wonderful encouragement we can see from that example. But he didn't. So here we've seen that Jesus praying for his disciples in that great intercessory prayer, praying for all who will believe and will follow the Lord Jesus as, as disciples in years to come, but praying specifically for an individual and then Peter. But Jesus doesn't just pray for his disciples, his followers. He also prays for sinners. I mentioned earlier Isaiah 53, 12, I'll read it again. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. A number of translations has that just as made intercession for transgressors. The ESV has it makes. But if we even consider it just a small part of what happened when Jesus was crucified. Think of the agony that he was in. Think of the pain. And what does he do? Even when he is dying on the cross, he prays for the transgressors. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What wonderful words of Jesus. Jesus makes intercession for saints and sinners. If we move on, we think about Jesus is still alive, remember? He didn't just die on Calvary. He was risen. He has risen and he's ascended. And so we, we see that today Jesus still does work as an intercessor. A couple of verses that teach us about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is alive, and in heaven he has that high priestly role in intercession. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We might, of course, ask the question, 
Uh, well, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Why uh, should I need Jesus still interceding in my behalf? And I guess before we even answer that, we need to make it clear that Christ's intercession is not a continuing sacrifice for sin. That was once all and final at Calvary. Once and all. So the intercession, it's not about sacrifice for sin. It's not about propitiation. Propitiation is finished, done. But one commentator puts it this way. The concept of intercession has a reference to the work of Christ on behalf of the believer's weakness and temptation with the end view of preventing sin. I'll read that again. Reference to the work of Christ on behalf of the believer's weakness and temptation with the end view of preventing sin. I suppose it's unfortunate, isn't it? But the reality is we know that we fail. We know that we so often are weak and fall into temptation. And it's good, therefore, to know that Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is the one pleading our case. He's our lawyer in the courtroom pleading the case on our behalf. Think of that picture that we have of Satan in accusing Job and saying, ah, take your hedge away from round about him and I'll see what happens. Think of that Satan desiring to get Peter and Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. And that's the work that Jesus is still doing in our behalf. In 1 John 2, 1, we read this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, how this happens, well, it's really beyond our understanding. There's some few points that people take that is Jesus presence in heaven is sufficient for intercession and then there's a, another extreme viewpoint that takes it but Jesus needs to vocally engage with the, uh, on behalf of the believers and there's a vocal and real presentation and it's a prayer like in nature but we honestly don't really know what takes place but one thing that's certain is we know that Christ does intercede for us so it's real and we don't know how the communication takes place between the heavenly beings, between Father and Son and Holy Spirit, but it takes place. And it's wonderful because the Lord Jesus is doing it for us. What does it mean for us, what Jesus is doing? There's big encouragements here for us. There are a couple of things I want to just leave you with. One of the things is that it's a guarantee of our eternal security. It's another guarantee, I should say, of our internal security. I quoted earlier Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And it's a bit difficult to get that. What's this word uttermost really mean? It means that our salvation someday will be total and complete it's not just to be, it's not stops at any point. It, it will be fulfilled in com all its completeness. 
we will be fully saved. And so here's this guarantee with us. Christ's work is involved in, in some way in our eternal security. It's ongoing. He will complete the work that he started in us to do. And it underscores as well our, our continuing sanctification, doesn't it? Our, us becoming more Christ-like, keeping us, helping us from, keeping us from sin. But I think the, the thing that really is the, the massive encouragement to me that in this intercession, Christ sustains us. He helps us and he, he helps to keep us from the dangers of sin in this life. We're not on our own. And you know, we, we do feel and if we feel, the, the wonderful thing is that Christ's intercession on our behalf, it provides a way for our restoration. We need to continually confess our failures and our sins. Aren't we reminded that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it a great encouragement to us? When we know that we've got it wrong and we've done it, we've fallen into temptation, we've sinned, but there's a restoration, there's a way back to God. When we do things and we don't even realize that we're sinning against God, Christ is interceding for us. Our relationship with God, God to us, doesn't change and we can be encouraged because of what's happening our relationship with true God upwards can change and we can we can break the relationship by the sin in our lives and uh, but God doesn't change toward us Jesus still intercedes on our behalf there's a way for us to be restored one thing that struck me particularly uh, was this intercession it's not about condemnation. It's really an encouragement to us. Who is to condemn? Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? It's all about God's love and grace. It's all about how God continues to work in the lives of those who have come to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. It's amazing what Christ did for us across. It's also amazing what he still does for us today. Intercession, I have left out lots more that I could say. I know that. You could look at it from different angles, different examples. We could take the examples of intercession throughout Scripture and go off in different ways to think about it. But it's what Christ does for us. It's the intercession of Christ that, to me, really is the, the most important thing. Christ continues to intercede for us. We have a wonderful Savior. Let us give thanks for that Savior. We're going to sing before the throne of